today I want to talk to you just a little bit um, about the keys of the kingdom. This is something that, that is extremely important to me, and I want to, I want to really encourage you, church. I want to encourage you in this way. If you do not have a revelation of kingdom, and kingdom does not come to you through information. Kingdom is not about being received through information. It's not about me being up here and preaching and telling you about kingdom. Kingdom is a revelation that brings transformation. Okay? Kingdom is not information. It's a revelation that brings transformation. So as I preach and as I share with you from the Word of God, I want to make sure that you understand that you are not going to get everything that you need just by listening to what I have to say. It's, a, it's the same thing. I almost think it's the same thing as, as Jesus when he was with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Is it 4 or 5? It's in John chapter 4 or 5. He's with the woman at the well and he's talking to her and he explains things to her. And as he explains things to her, the word of God says she believed. That's awesome. Because she met with Jesus. She goes back to her, her, her people. She goes back to her people and she, and she tells them what she learned. And it said many of them believed. But here's what they did. Here's what they did. They said, we got to go talk to this Jesus guy. We got to go meet with him. And so they go down and they find him and they start talking to him and they have this conversation back and forth. And then they go back to the woman that Jesus had met at the well and they said, now we believe. But it's not because of what you said. But it's because we met with him face to face. See, you can stand here or you can sit here and listen to preaching all day long. And this is one of the biggest issues that I see in the Western church is we accumulate information and it never brings transformation. Because we don't understand that we are called, twice in the book of Revelation, we are called to be kings and priests. A king, you see this is another reason why I should say that, that, that kingdom, especially in America, is so difficult to understand. The reason that we have such a hard time understanding kingdom, number one, there's a, there's a lot of reasons, but I'm just, maybe I'll pick two of them. Maybe one of the reasons is, is because we don't understand that we are priests. And a priest, you see, in the, in, in the Old Testament, God wanted the children of Israel to be a nation of priests. They saw the manifestation of the power of God upon the mountain, and they said, that scares us. We don't want to meet with God ourselves. Moses, you just go meet with him and let us, let us know what he said. See, we're so accustomed to having our leaders tell us what we need to do. And when we hear from them, we are okay with them just being the ones that tells us what God said. It's never been intended to be that way. I have never been called to pastor a church and tell people what they need to do. As a senior pastor of a church, my primary responsibility is to teach people how to hear from the Lord. It is not to tell them what to do. And yet the culture that we come from, Andy, I have literally had people sit in my office and say, Pastor, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. It's because they don't know how to meet with the Lord themselves. God has not called us to do that. And so that's one of the reasons that kingdom is not, is not a revelation is because you only listen to information and it does not bring transformation because you've not gone into your closet. You've not gone into the presence of the Lord and said, what is this information that you have now given me that will turn into revelation that will bring transformation? 
It's a huge difference. The other thing I think that, that hinders us is we come from a culture in America that does not understand what it means to be in a kingdom with a king. We have a constitutional republic. Our, our government is centered around a constitution. And so we don't really understand kingship like, a, like from a country. We don't understand that a king has authority over the entire realm. We don't understand that a king owns everything. It doesn't matter where you live, what house you live in, what property you live on. It's the king's. It doesn't matter what you're in possession of, what you're in ownership of, or, or the things that you have. They belong to the king. And if the king wants them, he can come take them. See, we don't understand kingdom because we don't live in a kingdom. So kingdom must be revelation. And if you have the revelation of kingdom, that is the only way that you can understand what your calling and your purpose are. See, when I, when I, I'll admit it. I'll just be vulnerable with you. I'll be transparent. When I first was ordained in the ministry, I did not even understand kingdom to the degree that I should have. Because of that, people were able to control me through praise or accusation. Praise. Man, oh, attaboy. You know, they'd give you an attaboy. Attaboy, John. Good job. Oh, it just felt so good. Or accusation would just bring you down into the valley, down into the dumps. Oh, they don't like me. Oh. <sighs> Seriously. But when you get an understanding of kingdom, and I was in prayer one day, and I said, God, I recognize this in my life. This is a characteristic in my life that I am moved by praise or accusation. And I know it's not right because I know it inside. I sense it's not right. So God, what am I missing? And I was just deeply in prayer. I was out in my study, all by myself, worship music going. And I was just praying and pressing in. And all of a sudden, the Lord just showed me a vision. And I just went deep into the heart of God. And I, 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 I began to see myself walking toward the throne room of heaven. And I walked up and I, I could see. And, 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 and some people, I found that since that, when I share this vision that some people do not see God this way, but I saw God like this with his arms open welcoming me. Some people don't see God like that because of their circumstances or abuse or whatever it may be that's going on or that has happened. And I saw God like this, and as I walked up into his presence, it, it, it was like there were some things that became so clear that erased years and years of striving and wondering. And I just heard God just speak into my spirit and said, I'm the one that called you, not the local church. I don't know what that does for you, but you talk about a release. I'm the one that called you, not the local church. I'm the one that called you. I'm the one that placed my calling inside of you, not the local church. Maybe it didn't do anything for you, but it released me from years. And so then what happened is I went too far the other direction. I didn't care what people thought. And I'm like, well, that's not right either. Because I, I need to care about people. I want to care about people. I want to value people. And so... Now God has brought me to a place where my calling, 
at the age of 13, when God spoke to me, originated from the throne room of heaven. Where I'm functioning at now, that calling was recognized and come into agreement with. So when we put a leader in place in our congregation, we are not picking a man that we think has all the, you know, he's a wealthy businessman, or he's this, or he can speak good in front of church. Who is God calling? Who is God gifting that we can come into agreement with what God is doing in that man's life? It's a different way of thinking. Kingdom is a revelation. Seek first the kingdom of God. I like that you shared that verse. Let's go to the word of God. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'll also have it up here. You can uh, follow along here as well if you want to. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, I want you to see this because uh, there, there are, in, in the scripture, in the scripture, the word of God talks about Caesarea. There, there's two Caesareas. And you have to understand this. One of them is just called Caesarea, which is out by the Mediterranean. That was a uh, Caesarea Maritime, is, is, was a place that King Herod built. Caesarea Philippi is a completely different place. So in the scripture, when you read and it just says, just Caesarea, that's talking about King Herod's place down by the Mediterranean. When it says Caesarea Philippi, we're at a different location. And so I want you to see this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now I want you to see this. Oh, I'm going too fast here. My bad. This place right here is Caesarea Philippi. So we, were, we pulled into this place, and we didn't know anything about this place. We pulled in. This was about five years ago that we were in Israel. We pulled into this place, and down here, in, down in this area that you can't see is the parking lot. And up here is, uh, this would have been a big structure up here, and uh, this would have been the Temple of Pan, the Pan Temple. This is where the Pan God was. Um, the Pan God, and, and Andy, I apologize if I overstep my boundaries here, and you can tell me. I welcome you to tell me, Leroy, that's enough. Um, but I almost feel like I have to explain to the people, I'm going to try to stay away from some graphic details, but I almost feel like I have to explain to you what this place is all about so that you get a picture of what Jesus was actually doing. Because he, there is a specific reason. This is what I discovered in Scripture, is that everything in Scripture that Jesus put in there through inspiration of his Holy Spirit to men of God is there for a reason. And there is a reason that he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi to ask them this question. It was no accident. It's not just in the scripture just to fill space. There is a reason he took them to Caesarea Philippi. When we walked up to Caesarea Philippi, we discovered that this place is the epitome of filth and sexual immorality. You can literally feel it when you walk in there. It is a nasty, disgusting, gross, put any adjective you want to it. It is horrendous. This place was the birthplace and the location where sexual immorality happened. Bestiality was a big thing here. You see, the pan god, if I were to show you a picture, and I won't because it is too graphic and pornography. It's, it's literally pornography. 
But if I were to show you a picture of the pan god, it's the body of a man down to the waist and then the legs from there on down, it's, it's that of a goat. And then he also has horns coming out of his head. So when you would have walked into the pan temple, which is a place of immorality, just over here to the right, uh, maybe, uh, let's see. Yeah, over here in this area, open orgies out in front of everybody. That's what this place was all about. Caesarea Philippi was all about open orgies, bestiality. But you walk into the pan temple, and some of you are getting disgusted already. Just bear with me. You walk into this pan temple, and this is where it gets graphic, and I apologize if there are any children in here, mom, dad, you may have to explain some things to them later. But you walk in and there's a, an idol there that you take oil and anoint the idol in a immoral way. Is that, is that fair? Does everybody know where I went there? I don't want to explain it more than I have to. But that is literally what you would do when you would walk into the Pan Temple is you would take oil and anoint the idol in a very graphic, immoral way. At the back of this, at the back of this, at the very back, there is an opening that drops down 800 feet. They called that place, are you ready? The Holy of Holies. They would take children there. The reason that this was such a, uh, an immoral place and all the open orgies is they literally had ladies that all they did was birth children to sacrifice to this God. And they would take the children back to the Holy of Holies and throw them into the abyss. And if blood came out of the water, their God was accepting the sacrifice. I want you to catch how disgusting this place is. You have to understand this to understand why Jesus brought them to Caesarea. So that's what we're dealing with. The temple of Zeus was here as well. This is a picture here. You can't really see it. It's almost too dark. But back in there is what they called the Holy of Holies. How many of you know that the devil is not an originator of anything? He's a duplicator of what God has done. <clears throat> this will give you an artist's rendition. Here is, here is the temple of Zeus. Here is the, the pan temple, an artist. Uh, depiction of what it may have looked like. Here's where all the open orgies happened out in the open with beasts and with uh, men and women or men with men, women with women. Didn't matter. Anything went. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, now you have a picture. Now you have a picture of the place that he took them and he's walking down the road with his disciples and they stop. I can just see them stop because when we pulled the bus up to the out, to right, uh, right at the beginning of the driveway that comes into the parking lot, I can just see Jesus stopping there and maybe looking up there. They would know exactly what happened at this place. And I'll, I'll tell you this too. I worshipped at this place for 20-some years with my addictions. And anybody here that has sexual immorality in their past as an addiction, you worshipped at that place as well. I see them standing there. They know exactly where they're at. They know exactly what is just up the hill from where they're standing out by the road. And he says to them, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He was going to see what they understood, 
but he was also going to see if their hearts were open for a revelation. And this is what they said. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so what they were doing is they were giving information. Well, you know, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? information comes out. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? That's the question. The question today, if you really want to start, this is a key. If you want to start with a revelation of kingdom, if you want to understand what kingdom is, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Who do you say that he is? Who is he to you? When we go down, when I take the disciple and leaders class, it's a class that I teach uh, at our congregation. It's a year long, and one of the things in one of the quarters, we do it over a year, and one of the quarters we uh, focus on evangelism, and we go downtown to Lancaster, and we begin to share our faith, and that's one of the first questions I ask is this. What do you believe about Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? It's a way to start conversation right here. And he says, who, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. This is interesting because Simon was actually a son of James. I'm not sure about the translation here exactly, but they believe that, that uh, Simon Peter's dad may have gone with either the name of John or Jonah. And, and I don't know, sometimes you, you'll see that in Scripture, but, but this is an interesting word right here. This bar means son of. Son of. You are the son of. You are the son of. And, and so what he's saying is, is Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And, and he's, he's referring to the son of a person that is flesh and blood. And he's saying this information did not come from flesh and blood. It did not come from your dad. Your dad can't pass this on to you. Your mom can't pass this on to you. This has to be a revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has revealed something to you, Simon, son of. And it's amazing how the Son of God, who is the Son of Man, was talking to the son of a man and said, flesh and blood is not what's going to bring you to the place where you need to be to really understand what I'm here for. Look at this. He says, but my father who is in heaven, but I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So let's, let's look at this. Okay. You ready? He says, my father who is in heaven, but I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock. What's that rock? The rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. What does the word Christ mean? The anointed one. See, do you understand now why he took him to Caesarea Philippi? Because they understood anointing an immoral idol, and he comes and he says, no, no, not an immoral thing. We're not here to anoint that thing. We're not here to, to, to give ourselves to that. We are here to understand a revelation of the anointed one of God who is Jesus the Christ. Do you understand now? Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. 
And so when Simon Peter, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah said, you are the anointed one, the Messiah. He said, there's no way you could know this through information. The only way that you can understand this is through revelation. And it's going to bring transformation to you. That's what he's telling him. And then he says this. This is interesting. If you look up these Greek words, I'm so fascinated by deeper study of Scripture. He says, you are Peter. That, the Greek word is Petros. And I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but it's Petros, which means a piece of the rock. The word rock is, is the Greek word Petra, which means the rock. So he's telling Peter, you're, you're a piece of the rock. Chip off, of your old, chip off of the old block. You're just like your dad. You know, have you ever heard that phrase where, where you, and, and a, lot of a lot of times people use it in a derogatory manner. Oh, he's just like his dad. Oh, he's a chip off the old block. Amen. When I am born again, when I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior, and He is my Heavenly Father, I want to be just like my dad. Feel free to say I'm just a chip off of the old block. Feel free to say that because I want to be, it's not a real good phrase to use, but, but I'm just saying, a piece of the rock. And so he was telling Peter, he was saying, that you are a part of this revelation of the bigger picture. And so in the kingdom, I am not the full revelation, but I am a part of God's kingdom here on earth. That is the thing that fascinates me so much is because me, if you would know me, if you would know who I am, I am a nasty person. I can identify with Paul when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I've been jailed three times. The last time I was in jail was about 10 to 11 years into our marriage. Try that on. What am I doing preaching, huh, Elijah? What am I doing being where I'm at? You know why? Because I had the revelation of who I am in Christ. See, I am not up here because I am so good at something or because I deserve something, or because I have a degree. I'm here because of a testimony of the power of the redemption of Jesus Christ. And he has taken me, the chief of sinners, and put me in a position that I can now understand that I'm an ambassador for the king. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes on behalf of, he represents someone else, not my agenda, and see, this is when God showed me when God showed me that revelation that the calling came from the king. He said, "I'm going to send you back now to the local church, but I want you to understand that that church will never be yours." If you're sitting in here and if you're a leader, if you're a leader in a church, you need to listen to this. That church will never be yours. This church will never be yours. These people will never be your people. And, Jesus, and God showed me this. He said, in my word, I say, I will build my church. If this church belongs to Jesus, I have no right to take any ownership of it. 
It's a difference between a right for ownership and a responsibility in my position. But see, I'm only effective in my position when I understand that a senior pastor is not who I am. It is only what I do. I am a son. I am a king. I am a priest. And I didn't make any of those happen. He did. But because of that, my responsibility as a pastor is what I do not who I am. That's how you become effective, is when you understand that as an ambassador, you speak on behalf of. For instance, when, when, when President Trump, and we're not here to talk about politics, but when President Trump had uh, an ambassador to Israel, Nikki, he, he would send her to Israel, and she would go, not of her own agenda, or she's not an ambassador. An ambassador goes and says, I am here on behalf of the President of the United States. I'm here to share with you what he said. So as an ambassador, I don't get to choose what my agenda is. People come to the church and they say, Leroy, what is your vision for Bethesda? That's the name of our church. What's your vision for Bethesda? I don't have one. What do you mean you don't have a vision for your church? Where there's no vision, the people perish. And I tell them, it's not my responsibility to have a vision. It's my responsibility to facilitate a vision. And so as a senior pastor, my role is to say, God, what is your vision for the church? What do you want to do here? And again, I've been listening just a little bit on Facebook for a couple nights, and you guys have been talking about kingdom and how it's a mindset. You have to change the way you think about things. Because when, when, when leaders say, well, it's my responsibility to have my vision come forth in my church, you're completely headed the wrong direction. But when it's Jesus' church and it's his vision, I'm here to facilitate that vision as an ambassador in the responsibility that I've been placed in. It's a whole different way of looking at it. Peter, you are a piece of the rock. And the rock is the revelation that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah. I say to you that you are Peter, piece of the rock. And on this rock, Revelation, Petra, I will build my church. So if you want to build your church, Andy, the church has to be built. If I want to build our church, if you want to build the church, you have to build it on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God he is the one that is in charge of the church. He is the head of the church. And he is the one that will impart to you vision and direction as you lead from here on. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. And I will give you the keys. I want you to talk to me a little bit. It's just, you know, mom used to say, don't talk in church. And I'm not going against mom, but I'm just saying, talk to me a little bit. What are keys used for? Open doors to access, to unlock, and to close. <laughs> You're preaching my message for me, brother. And to close. Isn't this amazing? And he says, here, here's what he says, and I will give you. If I give you something, 
you are now in possession of it. It's a very elementary truth. He says, I will give you. How many of you have ever thought of being a son or a daughter of the king? Now let's switch that into the natural. Let's say that you have a son or a daughter. Do, do your sons and daughters come to your house? Is there anybody in here? Do your sons and daughters come to your house and say, Dad, can I come in? Dad, would you let me in? Can I come into our house? How many sons and daughters would do this? It doesn't even make sense. And yet, let me tell you, this is how you can change. Let me give you a key for how you pray. I don't pray and say, Lord, would you give me, would you open this door for me? Lord, would you open this door for me? Lord, would you open a door for us? No. He says, I've given you the keys. I've given you the keys. And you're asking me to open the door for you? Why? You are a son. You are a daughter. Why are you asking me to open the door for you? You are already in possession of the key. And we talked about it earlier. What are some keys? We can sit here all day long and talk about keys. What are keys? Here's a key. If you want relationship, if you want to be in a deep relationship with someone, there has to be honor. Honor is a key. And so if you're thinking through, God, you're calling us to do this. You're not asking me to ask you to open the door. You're actually given into my possession a key that I know how to get through that door, but it's through revelation, not information. So I don't need someone to tell me what to do. I need to listen to what you're saying. God, what's the key? What is it you're facing? Think through your life. What is it that you're facing? What are the things that you're facing right now? Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's in business. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's something. I don't know what it is, but think through things that you're facing. You already are in possession of keys, and I'm going to tell you why. The Bible says that the kingdom of God, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm putting it in my own words, it says the kingdom of, of God doesn't come through observation. It doesn't come through somebody saying, hey, it's over here, or, hey, it's over there. It doesn't come like that. It says the kingdom is inside of you. So if the kingdom is inside of you, you are already in possession of everything you need. Why are you still asking God for something that you already have? And he's saying this is part of maturity, is recognizing that as a son or a daughter, I am already in possession of everything that I need. Why am I continually asking for something I already have? How much sense does that make? You already have it. God, would you give me the power to forgive this person that did me wrong? Why are you asking for it? You already have it. He's already put the key in your hand. He's already put it in there. We just need to walk in what we have already received. But see, we don't understand what it means to go into the secret place and have the revelation come to us what those keys are. God, I know the information because your word says it, but information does not bring transformation. Revelation does. There are a lot of things. And I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll, I'll just give you another example from my own life. I know the scripture. I've been in the scripture. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I should know the scripture. But you read the scripture and it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the attack of the enemy. 
And it goes through the whole thing. And I know that information, but I'm telling you, until you get into a situation where you are going to get killed and slaughtered, unless you put on that armor and understand what it means, it does not become revelation. There are times in my ministry that I've looked back and I've said, wow, when I preached that message five years ago, I didn't even really understand what I was talking about. Because I was relaying information. And all of a sudden, I understood what it meant to be in a battle. I understood that if I didn't get into the Word, and there were times that I was so overcome by the fire and by the tribulation and by the testing and by the trying, that if I didn't get into the Word and sit there and just read, sometimes for three, four, five hours straight, I literally couldn't get through my day. The Gospel became something that it was intended to be as a sword spirit i had to fight there was something that i needed to overcome there were things that i needed to conquer but i didn't understand yet what was in my hand and all of a sudden when i began to see the power of god's word his written word and his revealed word his rhema and his logos until i began to understand those things i didn't know how to wield that sword with skill he says i'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom now look at this and whatever you, you, say, I'm you. I know it ain't good English, but just say it. I'm you. Because it says, whatever you, you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now that to me sounds like a tremendous amount of authority and dominion. Doesn't it? Why? Because you're a king. Kings have authority and dominion. But they do not have authority and dominion and control over people. See, here's where we get hurt. Here's where we run into problems because people will use this authority against people. This authority has never been intended to be between people. It is intended for you to take authority and dominion over principalities. I declare in the name of Jesus, this is what it looks like to bind something. I declare in the name of Jesus, you did it this morning when we were praying that the spirit of darkness, the evil spirit, the kingdom of darkness will have no dominion over this place. What you did is you declared it unlawful. You bound that. And so whatever you, and and what this means, the translation, what it means is, is to declare it lawful or to declare it unlawful. And so what you said is, I declare in the name of Jesus that it is unlawful for the kingdom of darkness to manifest in this place. You have that authority. And if you have kingdom inside of you, you have that authority. So I'm overcome with something. I'm walking through something. I'm, I'm going through a difficult battle. I am overcome with feelings of unforgiveness or bitterness. Guess what? I have the authority in my own life to say that is unlawful to operate in me. You cannot oppress me in that way anymore. I deal with all of these kids and they're cutting and they're contemplating suicide and they're going through all of these things. When I speak to them, I declare in Jesus' name, it is not lawful for that spirit to operate over you. You have the authority. You have the authority to do that. I'm not making this up. This is what God's word says. The keys of the kingdom, some of the keys of the kingdom is the authority and the dominion that God has called you to walk in, to be an ambassador here on earth, to bind and loose things that are lawful and unlawful. 
I declare that it is lawful over this place for the peace of God that passes all understanding to rule and reign in your hearts. I declare that it is lawful in this place for purity and holiness and godliness and righteousness and his kingdom mantle you and cloak you. I declare that it is lawful for those things to happen in this place. I declare over you that it is lawful for you to walk in close relationships. In fact, relationships that are so knit together in the soulish realm in a godly way, the way that David and Jonathan walked. By the way, God said this morning, as I was saying to you, and I forgot to say this, that there is a, there is a uh, just, just like David had on him. That's the word God is, is just like David worshipped. He was in a lonely place. You've been in a lonely place at times. There were times you've been so lonely and you had to reach out and you had to pick up your harp and you had to worship anyway. That David, that David anointing just all over you. I declare over this place that it is okay, that it is right, and it is godly for you to be outspoken about your faith. I declare over this place that it is okay, it is right for you to live your faith out loud. I declare in this place that it is right for you to leave here and take the gospel with you everywhere that you go. I declare over this place that it is right and it is godly for marriages to be strong and knit together in one flesh and unity and one word and one voice comes out of marriages i declare in this place that dating relationships will be pure and godly and they will save each other for marriage i declare in this place that the power of the blood of jesus christ is what leads you that's the strength of the covenant you are in a covenant relationship with your heavenly father through a unilateral covenant that you've not done anything to put it in place he said here it is accept it i've put it all in place for you the blood is the strength of the covenant i declare over this place that the spirit of prophecy would rise because the church needs to hear it. The church needs prophecy. And you know what prophecy is? Prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. And so where prophecy comes, there's going to be life. There's going to be things that are birthed. Where Jesus is, there is kingdom and there is life. So when prophecy comes, it has to bring kingdom and it has to bring life. You know what? In my estimation, this is my opinion. Prophecy is a revelation of what has already been written in heaven about you. It's nothing new. I didn't make it up. It's understanding what has already been written in heaven about you. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's calling things to life. And, and, and here's the amazing thing about prophecy is sometimes you say things to someone and someone will say, I don't see that in his life. You don't have to. I'm calling it out. It's what still has to come. I declare that you will understand kingdom through revelation and not information. And I declare for all of us that we will be a people that will hunger and thirst after righteousness. And it says you will be what? Filled. Filled. Now look at this in closing. I'll wrap it up. 
It says, then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Why? <laughs> Why? Why would you not go tell everybody? Why would you not spread that news? And there could be all kinds of opinions or interpretations of this. But this is the verse that brought me to the place that I received the revelation for this message that Jesus the Christ is not information telling people. It's revelation. God, what do I have to do? What, 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 is, what is standing in the way of me having a deeper revelation of your kingdom and my role in that? What is in, what is in your life? What is in my life? that is standing in the way of me recognizing and understanding what God has called and purposed me to do? It's a good question. I have to ask myself that question. You have to ask yourself that question. Because every one of us has to answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he... A prophet? Is he a rabbi? Is he a good person? Or is he Jesus the Christ? The anointed Messiah. It depends whether you walk in information or revelation. I believe that this church understands revelation. 